You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. While you're standing, let me read to you from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting verse 12. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments that the Lord your God is commanding you, and His decrees that I'm commanding you for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heavens of heaven belong to the Lord your God, the earth and all that is within it, yet the Lord has set his heart on you, on your ancestors. He chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart. Now do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty God, awesome, who's not partial, who takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and for the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, serve him alone, you shall worship him. To him you shall hold fast, and in his name you shall swear, for he is your praise, he is your God, and he's done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 people. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to all of you. It's so great to see you. Through the camera, live and in the flesh, we're delighted that you're here. Thanks for for being in this place, this space of presence where we're worshiping God in God's presence. It's just a delight to have you. Our family took a big road trip in the summer of 2010, 11 years ago. And we, we went 4,000 miles and traveled over seven states. It was kind of risky for our kids at that age, but it was worked out really well. We saw lots of canyons and mountains and national parks, lots of scenes including an unexpected trip through, uh, to, to visit friends in Albuquerque. We came through here and stayed with some people that you might know, the Helms. Well, the unexpected part of our trip was when we decided, well, we're in the neighborhood, let's swing by the Grand Canyon. So we went to the northern rim of the Grand Canyon and we kind of made our way up the path around some trees and we got to the rim of the canyon and I said, wow. And Nathan said, cool. And Donna said, that's amazing. And Lizzie, who's five at the time, says, what? Where is it? I don't see it. I mean, I I hadn't thought of it that way, but you go and you're expecting something grand and it's a big hole in the ground. There's no towering mountain. What is it that you're actually seeing? So her eyes kind of helped me to begin to look at the landscape wherever I go. If I'm on a trip or if I'm on vacation, 
if I'm even at home, to pay attention to the landscape and what the landscape teaches you. And so I want to share some of those things with you today, and I'll do so in a bit. The story, though, I guess, from Deuteronomy 10, is something of a vacation. If you know the, the backstory of this, Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. And for the last 40 years, God's people have been wandering around in the wilderness. Not an ideal vacation. And Moses uh, speaks to the kids of the people that he previously spoke to. Perhaps you remember the story way back that he told his parents, told their parents when he went up the mountain, got the Ten Commandments of Stone from God, written with the finger of God, comes down the mountain to find them worshiping other gods and idols, symbolically breaks the Ten Commandments, rebukes the people, and goes back up the mountain to get a second copy from God of these Ten Commandments. Well, for the last 40 years, these people, these original people who heard the sermon, have died off. And Moses pulls out a sermon that's retooled for a new generation and speaks to their kids and tells them what God had given them. And he gives them something of a memory verse, something of the essence of the covenant. And, and I like this. I don't know if you do. It's, it's good to have ten commands. That's helpful. That's a summary. But these summary statements help us know what God requires of us. And that's what shows up in verse 12. What does God require of you? That you'll fear the Lord your God. That you'll love the Lord your God. Serve the Lord your God. And walk in all of His commands. It kind of helps to have it just said in a few verses that this is all about God and following God. And the story is that God is all-powerful. He owns all of heaven, all of earth, and yet He sets His mind on this group of people. This scrawny tribe, a group of Hebrews or nomads who were slaves. And he set his heart on, in love on them because that's just the kind of God that God is. He looks out for people that aren't maybe the biggest people. Looks out for those that are the oppressed. In fact, in this, we get a sense that God looks out for people that don't have parents, for orphans. For spouses that lose their other spouse for whatever reason. Or for people who are on vacation, traveling through a land that's foreign to them. They don't know this land. Outsiders. God is on the side of these outsiders. And this word, stranger, shows up. That God is for the stranger. Lots of other words we could use. Sojourner, traveler, alien, uh, resident alien. If we just think of the verb, these are travelers. These are people that are passing on through. And God uses this as probably the primary theme of the Old Testament and even into the New. That you are a group of people that God has brought out. Strangers that God has looked after. And we're supposed to remember the stranger because we were slaves. Well, but this feels kind of foreign to us. This isn't our story, is it? I mean, we're, we're not Hebrews. We, we weren't slaves in Egypt, so it's a little odd for us to look at this story. But yet, God looks at us and gives us this formative narrative where the people of Israel got their identity, 
of who they were. They're the people that God brought out. And something about the kind of people that they're supposed to be, their ethic, who they are and what they will be. And if we're looking at it really carefully, it's not just about this exodus from Egypt story. If you think about it, the patriarchs carry this theme as well. Abraham, do you remember him? Wandering as a nomad. This guy didn't even have land to bury his wife. He had to buy land. Or Isaac, he did some traveling around to his ancestor Laban. Or Jacob, the guy on the run, because he'd stolen a birthright. All of these people were without a home, without a place, strangers and aliens. Well, this idea of aliens and strangers, people that aren't in their normal place, might not translate exactly to vacations, but think about yourself. Whenever you get the chance to travel, to sojourn, do you like to vacation in the same place or in a different place? Like to go somewhere that's familiar, where you know the sights, you can take in something new in that area, or go somewhere brand new, carving new territory, looking out. Well, as I mentioned, I like to look at the landscape wherever I go, to pay attention to what that landscape might be teaching or might tell us about the past. And I think that on vacation, maybe in particular, it's all about what you look for and what's there, what you can see. And when I'm on vacation, I, I pay attention to what things are different. And of course, there are a lot of obvious things that I, I'm sure you know. There are different people with different aspect, accents, different foods that they like. I have to sleep in different beds that may not feel anything like my bed, either good or bad. There are obvious things like that, but the landscape, I think, also throws up a mirror, shows us something about who we are. So back when we came through Albuquerque 11 years ago, you know what I didn't see? The three sisters, the volcanoes. I, I didn't see them. I know that 150,000 years ago, something like that, the weakness in the earth let them shoot up, and we have these small volcanoes, right? They, they don't dominate the landscape. And uh, humans spent time, what, doing military exercises there, doing a little bombing, ranching, uh, all kinds of things, until, you know, you kind of learn from your mistakes, you want to protect things. They moved the three sisters inside of the National Monument. So now, whenever we walk out of the church and look down the valley and see the three sisters, you can see where the development stops around them. And you can go and you can hike around them because we learned from what we saw in the landscape. The Grand Canyon, wow. What can you learn from 270 miles of, of canyon that's a mile deep and in places 18 miles apart? Do you realize that scientists will tell us that that was carved by the Colorado River, probably wasn't called the Colorado River back six million years ago, but as it washed through, it unveils for us 1.7 billion years of history. However you wanna do the years, think about the changes in the earth that nowhere else on the planet can you see so many exposed for the naked eye to see what's happened over those years. Changes happen 
along our earth. Whenever we went up to Idaho Falls, we went to see Twin Falls. Has anybody seen Twin Falls in Idaho? Beautiful black rock, waterfalls, and I'm snapping pictures, and then it dawns on me, hey, wait, there's only one waterfall. It's supposed to be Twin Waterfall. Where's the other waterfall? And so I asked, and they said, oh, yes, in the 1920s, we installed a turbine in the mountain to generate electricity. And so there really is only one falls now. It's Mono Falls. Okay, all right. And they pointed out the electrical lines and the plans for some zip lines to go across the canyon. Now, I'm like you. I like electricity. I, I like zip lines. But there were some changes, some decisions made in the landscape that affect things going forward. As I look at this landscape, I can't help but have it hold up a mirror to me. And you may not be quite as odd as I am, but I'm very much aware of how settlers coming across New Mexico looking for gold pushed native peoples away. They didn't, they didn't find gold, so then they pushed natives back into New Mexico. I'm aware of how settlers and hunters moved across Colorado and Idaho and Utah looking for skins to make money and fur and wiping out many animal populations. Then the landscape changes. And I can't help but realize these things. We took a second monstrous road trip. Now you're starting to wonder, is this Brady's vacations of Christmas past? Bear with me on this one. We, we took a long trip that was twice as long, 8,000 miles, and drove all the way to Washington, D.C., and up to Boston. And at this point, my eyes were really tuned. I wanted to see what we could learn from the landscape. So we studied civil war. We looked into our family history. We looked at civil rights. And we looked at how settlers came and colonized America and what it was like. And it holds up this mirror of who we are and what we have been about, what things were important to us. As we quested for power, for money, for even beautiful locations, and what that meant as we pushed native populations away. Even participating with many other countries in the transatlantic slave routes, where we conscripted labor for free to work for us, to earn money at the hands of other people. Now, I can see it on your eyes. You start to wonder, okay, what, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to apologize? You keep using we. Now, because I'm using the word we, I know that we didn't participate in this. We didn't do these things to Twin Falls or to native populations, right? It wasn't us. I'm very much aware of that because we can push those things away. And, and this conversation is, it's not about blame. It's not about finding fault. It's something different than that. It's going much deeper to look at what we've seen and what we've learned from that landscape. All right, we'll click back to the text for a minute. Enough of the Bryce family, family vacations from years ago past. If you look back to this text of what happens here, look in verse 19. You also shall love the stranger, 
for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Who is it that Moses is preaching to? He's preaching to the kids of the slaves. He, they weren't slaves. They weren't in Egypt. And yet he tells them, remember that you were in Egypt. No, we weren't. I mean, can't you hear these kids? We didn't go on that trip. That's not us. That's your fault. That's your problem. We're stuck out here in the wilderness doing circles in the desert because of them. That's not us, right? Can you hear that happening? Well, it, it happens over and over again. Look in verse 21. Talking about all the mighty things that they have seen with their own eyes. No, we haven't. We haven't seen it. That's what you saw. That's what you're a part of. That's, who, that's what your past is all about. That's not me. Well, if we take a lesson from this, God shows us that we were there. That this is our story. That we can own the things of the past. Look at verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, and Him alone you shall worship. To Him you shall hold fast, and by His name you, will you shall swear. For He is your praise. He is your God. He's done these great and mighty things. And then up in verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who's not partial who takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan, and who loves the widow and loves the stranger. God loves the stranger and loves the widow. So when we look at this, it's not about assigning fault or assigning blame. It's not about pointing to the past and saying, ah, that's not my problem. It's about identifying with the stranger to learn from our past, to learn from what our ancestors have done that's good and that's bad, to own up to the reality that in fact slavery happened, that there are inequities even today of how people earn and what people gain. I have to own up to that even in my own family. Uh, my own family, I can point back way, way back where ancestors owned slaves. Now, did I do that? Is that on me? No, I didn't do that. Am I to blame? No. Are there things that I might benefit without even realizing it? That's possibly true. Owning to what has happened is about owning our past. Well, you might say, oh, my family, we didn't ever have anything. Never. We worked for everything we got. Well, come back to this text where God calls us to remember that we are strangers. Remember that we're aliens. Remember that we were the slaves. It almost doesn't matter which side of the equation you're on, whether you're in the place of power or the place of oppression, our eyes are to be turned toward the stranger in love, to serve them, to honor them to remember that we're to identify with them. And that, that provides a new mindset for our action. In Galatians 3.26, we learn about in Christ, we're all God's children, all of us. And that changes the way we think about our identity. 
Is our identity about the bank that holds our mortgage? No. Is our identity about the country that we live in? No. Is our identity the race that we happen to have? No. Our identity is in Christ as followers of Jesus. So it's not about blame. It's not about feeling bad. It's not about the priority of one race over another. We are Christians. And Christians are people who follow Jesus, who do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We're people. We're people like the Israelites, who love the stranger because we remember that we are strangers. Well, I want to do something that's a little more practical and tell you a story from my own life and then share some things that might help us think about the landscape of our lives. So uh, years ago, when we were at a very large church, uh, my mind was on the sermon, and we were headed to class, and a woman's voice spoke up and said, you look like someone who could show me where I could learn about God. It's like, well, yes. As a matter of fact, yes. And I got to talking with her and talked with her daughter, and her daughter was my daughter's age, and Don and I led her to our class, And as I'm thinking and talking with her, I thought, is our class the best class to take her? You have questions like this? Because I thought about it, it's this big class, it's full of professors, and I thought, I I just don't know. Someone looking for God and maybe not looking for something cute or quotable or very insightful. But we sat down in class. And I mean, in the first few sentences, the words that were used would have taken a dictionary for any one of us to, to decipher. And I was just kind of sinking in my chair a little bit. And then the inside jokes started rolling, just, you know, to kind of lighten things up. And everyone's roaring in laughter at the inside jokes. But Jennifer was not. And I just was feeling uncomfortable in my chair. About 15 minutes in, she leaned over and she said, you know, we missed big church. I think we're going to leave and come back next week. It's like, oh, no. So Don and I, we left too. We went into the hallway. And it it was another chance for me to say, you know, you talked about wanting to learn about God. Do you want to talk about that? And she wasn't interested in that moment. That, That time had passed. She'd read the signs. She'd come looking for God and had missed in some way. She'd stood at the rim of the canyon, was looking for something, but there just wasn't anything to be seen. Well, Don and I are trying and saying, okay, well, why don't you come to lunch with us? Let's go to lunch together. And she very politely said, hey, no, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. I'm just going to get my daughters and we'll go. I never saw Jennifer again. And that could be just because it was a very large church. But I can't help thinking about strangers that come looking for God and they don't find God. And I know you would encourage me, right? You would say, what I would say to you if, this were, if you were in my place. Now, Brady, sometimes it doesn't always work. You know, not everyone is supposed to stick. You've got to find the right place. And, and you're right. That's true. And yet I think about it and I wrestle with it about how is it that one can reach out to and love on strangers? Because all of this has changed my landscape. It's changed my field of view where I pay attention to the land and pay attention to the people and ache for those who look to see God and maybe can't find it because they have probably big holes in their own lives, just like I do. 
holes that can't be covered up, that needs addressing by what only the eternal God can do. So if I could get really, really practical, here's some things that, that we already do at first that you might continue doing. As you see people, smile at them. Now, this is one thing that you can do. A smile goes a long, long way. You don't have to say anything, but just a warm smile. Another thing that you could do is just sit next to someone that you don't know. You might figure out that they've been here a long time, or maybe they're new to town. Who knows? But take that risk of sitting with them. Another thing that could, you could do is to swivel. And after spending time, worship is just swivel around and see who you've been worshiping with and meet those that are around you. It takes a little more moxie to be able to do that. Do you notice how these kind of progress? Smiling, not real threatening at all. Maybe creepy at times, but not threatening because you're not having to use words. To sit next to someone, okay, that's a little, little more of a risk. And then to actually engage and welcome, learn their name, this is about realizing that we are hosts, that we're inv all involved in this, of welcoming people who are on the same journey that we're on, to try, to try to find God, to try to follow after Jesus. And maybe a fourth thing that you might try that's maybe the most fun is invite them for a meal, kind of like I did with Jennifer. You may get turned down a lot, but there's something about a meal where you can sit down and engage someone where you've got the, the benefit, the distraction of food and fellowship, and be able to spend time with them and learn who they are in a comfortable setting. I'm really thankful for Lizzie opening up my eyes to the Grand Canyon. To be able to look out and say, where is it? Kind of reset things for me. To take vacations seriously. That there are things that I can learn about how the places that one goes, how those are formed, and what's been involved in the people that have made those places what they are. And it makes me want to, to notice that I'm a stranger. I'm in a place where I'm an outsider, wherever I go. And as followers of Jesus, that's who we are. We're strangers who've been shown the love of God. We're strangers that are reaching out to other strangers. It's a chance for us to, to accept that and to love them in the ways that we've been loved. So, may God grant us eyes to be able to see the strangers that are in our midst. Eyes to see landscapes for what they are and for what they might teach us. To see other people as children of God. And to have the humility to know that we are strangers. This is our story. We can own it even if we're not to blame for it. And may God help us to see the holes that might be in our action. The places where we may not have actions that support what we actually think that we believe. May God make this true.